0: who he will always be that means he still loves you his mercy is still new for you each morning that means he has not left you or forsaken you that means yes you may have memory and thought of what happened this week that makes you feel unworthy but Jesus still died on the cross and he's worthy in his father's eyes and he will never deny his son and since you have the atonement and the propitiation of Jesus on your life that means he will never be displeased with you because then he'd have to be displeased with his son he will always be advocate, savior God, Lord, friend to those who call on him And Satan will always be who he is. He was a liar from the beginning and evil originated with him. He is the accuser. He will always be there trying to get you to stop believing this. But the spirit's far more powerful than this devil who was defeated in a mighty blow was sent to his head on the cross when he bruised Jesus' heel. And one day he's going to be thrown into a lake of fire forever. And he will never be able to attack you again. Until then, we look at God and we say, God, help us each and every day. Make it through these attacks and these barrages all the time. And he is faithful to help us weather this storm. So let's go to our God and pray and ask him to be with us this morning. Father, when... The disciples asked how to pray you taught them through your son If you were in heaven hallowed be your name your kingdom come your will be done on earth as it is in heaven God give us this day our daily bread and fig- forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and then father Jesus talks about the evil one that we should be asked to be delivered from because he's a roaring, lying, seeking someone to devour. God, deliver us from evil. Keep us from evil. Help us and be merciful to us. Let your gospel, the fact that your love is never ending, that we've received grace and truth and grace upon grace, that the reality of who we are in Jesus is forgiven and saved. And Father, you are not surprised by our failures and our sins. Though heartbroken, not surprised, and you do not hold them against us. So this morning, as we open your word, your gospel would be the uh, banner over us. Love would be there, and we would see your word and honor it and learn new things today or be reminded of the good things that we already know. We love you and thank you for everything that you do in Jesus' name. Amen. Alright kids, enjoy your time, we love you, thankful for you, everyone else take your Bibles, open up to 1 Corinthians 14, and I want you to have your Bibles with you, or your phone, however you are uh, using it to look at the word, to look at the scripture, we're going to be moving around in it, and I want us to be able to stay together, uh, not get our, not get lost. But very importantly, we're going to see um, we're going to see what God is saying to us. We're going to actually finish our empowered series today, First Corinthians chapter fourteen. Empowered, as we said, by the Spirit, chapter twelve, through love, chapter thirteen and fourteen. We've been seeing for others. That means if God is in us, if the Spirit is motivating us, if we're operating under the influence of the Spirit, it will be Him, but if it is Him, we'll know it because it's totally motivated by love in everything that we do. The Spirit manifesting Himself in us through love. A love that's not conditional, a love that's the type of love that God was moved with to send His Son for us, a love that lays its life down for others. Then we come to 14, and we, Paul's been hitting at the Corinthians, this very specific order, this decency that they should have. And get this, why? If they want to have the greatest impact, both within the church and within the community. So it's like, hey, there's a way that we can operate. There's a way that we can come together that will actually, actually stifle spiritual growth, stifle evangelism and we heard a couple weeks ago how if an outsider and unbeliever comes in and everyone is speaking in tongues there's no interpreter nothing can be understood they will say that you're mad but if an outsider unbeliever comes in and everyone's trying to prophesy which means speak clearly the words of the lord They'll fall on their face, they'll be convicted and cut to their heart, their sins, their, their sins will be brought to the surface, and they'll say, "Surely God is among you." They'll experience something that shows them that God is real, and He's here, who, among believers, those who profess Jesus as Lord and Savior? Todd started last week in a section towards the end, called "A church at Peace." So drop down to verse 4 chapter 14 and look at verse 33 For God is not a god of confusion but of peace Many times in life we are confused and especially when it comes to philosophies and beliefs when it comes to what to know, what to do, life can be extremely confusing. This verse tells us that God is not the author of that. Sometimes that's just the reality of living in the world and the consequences of not knowing what we need to know, but God is always there trying to steer us to the right place so we can live in peace, knowing, hey, hey, I am following God. I know the truth. Yes, there's chaos around me, but I'm not wondering what's good, what's bad, who's God, who's not God, was that from God, was that not from God. That's a state of confusion he doesn't want his people to live in. Paul tells the Ephesians, so that you would no longer be tossed to and fro and carried about by every wind of doctrine. Meaning that through the knowledge of Jesus and growing in his word, you've come to a place where you know what the truth is. And you're not unsettled by the thousands of voices around you. God is not the author of confusion, but of peace and the world only knows about God through his people, through his church. So we've become the ambassadors here and our gathering should be such that it creates the most impact for each other and for the community. That's where we're at. A church at peace, as we're going to see, as I want to remind you, is a church that builds. A church at peace is a church that builds. A church that builds is a church that will be at peace. Now, get ready to go through your Bible with me. We're gonna go, we're actually gonna go backwards. We're gonna work where we are, and I want to show you something. Here's what I want to ask ask yourself in your mind as I'm showing you some of these verses. What is Paul trying to get at here with the Corinthians? What's this context? And I want you to look out for two things in these verses him talking about when you gather together and this idea of building. Or for others. So, look at verse 40 of chapter 14. He's going to conclude it. But all things should be done decently and in order. Now, go backwards. Look at verse 26 of 14. Verse 26. What then, brothers? When you come together, here's the context of the when we're talking about. When you come together, keep going backwards. Look at verse 17. For you may be giving thanks well enough, but the other person is not being built up, implying that's what they should be wanting. Verse 12 of 14, so with yourselves, since you're eager for manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. Look at verse five. Now I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets, so that the church may be built up. Up, Verse 3, for their upbuilding and their encouragement. All of chapter 13 is about love, which is all about others, not yourself. Now, keep going to chapter 12. Look at chapter 12, verse 25. That there be no division in the body, but that the members have the same care for one another. Okay, now look at verse 7 of chapter 12. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Oh, we're not done. Look at chapter 11, verse 34. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home, so that when you come together, it will not be for judgment like we heard this morning. Go to chapter 10. No, I'm sorry. Look at verse 17 of chapter 11. Verse 17, but in the following instructions, I do not commend you because when you come together, for the Corinthians, it's for the better. I mean, for the worse, not for the better. Look at chapter 10, verse uh, 33. Now Paul's talking about himself personally in chapter 10, concerning his rights and the freedoms in Christ that he has the right to take part of Look what he says in verse 33 of chapter 10. Just as I try to please everyone and everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many that they may be saved. Look at verse 24 of chapter 10. Let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. And look at that last word right before verse 24. But not all things build up. All things may be allowed but it doesn't mean that those things build up. We're striving for the things that build up. Now look at chapter 9. We're almost done. 9:19. Nine, for though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win the more. Look at verse 14 of chapter 9. I'm sorry, verse 12. If others share this rightful claim on you, do we not even more? Paul's saying we have the right to use our rights, but Paul's saying we lay them down if they get in the way of people hearing the gospel. Look at verse 13 of chapter 8. Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat lest I make my brother stumble. And then finally, Verse one of chapter eight. I'm trying to take you back where this whole idea of being built up where it begins. You gotta go all the way back to chapter eight. This is where he started talking about this. Now concerning food offered to idols, we know that not all possess knowledge. This knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. And if you keep going backwards, you get more of an example of just the selfishness and the self-centeredness and the selfish ambition that existed in the Corinthians as their whole life was revolved around getting what they wanted. They were actually at division with one another. They were taking each other court, suing one another. It wasn't about the other. It was about their thing and doing their thing. So when we come to chapter 14, it's, this, it's, this, it's kind of like this concluding thought of him bringing like, I'm trying to convince my people that if the Spirit's at work in them, their life is last. Everybody else is first. And they will do everything motivated by love for the sake of others. And they'll be willing to do anything, imitate me, church, willing to do anything to see people grow and see people saved outside of sinning, of course. So a church at peace. What does it take to be a church that builds then? If a church at peace is a church that builds and a church that builds is a church at peace, and this has been the whole theme. What does it take to be a church that builds? Well, Todd started it last week. First of all, there's some order that has to take place. When you come together, if you come back to fourteen, uh, chapter 14, they came together and then there was this picture of chaos. The picture of chaos was that everybody had something they wanted to say, something to sing, something to share. There's no way to benefit one another when everyone's trying to do their thing. So Paul had to bring order to the chaos that was being brought. So... It meant that, hey, when it's time to speak, it needs to be clearly spoken. If it can't be understood and it's unintelligible, you must remain silent if you're speaking a different language. When it comes to those who would prophesy, then the others who have something they want to say, they must remain silent so that everyone can benefit. And by the way, if, if there's a lot of people speaking, there's a time where it's time to be silent altogether. Stop sharing so much stuff. Two or three at most, he says, talks about the order. In order to grow, that means someone must be speaking and the rest must be silent so we can all hear and grow from what's being said. Which brings us to the final points we're gonna bring. Brings us to the concluding uh, instructions of decent and in order to be a church that builds and that brings us to, brings us to verse 33. Up until this point, there's been some hard things to talk about some difficult things, some things that could even be controversial, but I'm glad to say that it has stopped and the rest of the chapter is very easy and there's no problems or controversy at all. So let's get into it. The women should keep silent in the churches. <laughs> I jest, I joke. You can imagine the trepidation that has come through my heart um, sharing these verses. So so let's just read it really quick. And let me share some things on my heart. As in all the churches of the saints, the women should keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but should be in submission as the law also says. If there is anything they desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is shameful for a woman to speak in church. Stop. What's going through your heart, your mind? What does the reading of the word do when you hear that? The geese have something to say about it. <laughs> let the geese remain silent in church. Now, <laughs> let, me, let, me, let me share a little bit of my heart with you. And this is something as a pastor that I very much want all of us to be unified on. The word of God is our authority. It is the thing that we look to for truth. So what do we do when we come to a passage? I'm gonna make a little bit of assumption. What do we do when we come to a passage that in the heart of people on planet Earth maybe the first thought is that can't be what it says. It can't mean what it says. So let me... Ask us, let's do this. What if it does mean exactly what it says? Would you accept it? Once you can settle in your heart that as you're studying the word because you're wanting God's way to infiltrate and take over your ways, once you're able to settle in your heart, God can change anything about what I believe if it's his truth, I accept all things. Then you can start studying the word Properly, without compromise. But let's use this passage as an example. Let's say you come to this one and you say, that can't be what it says. God wouldn't be good if it meant what it says. So I'm gonna study and show people why it doesn't mean what it says. That's false teaching. That's what Peter said about Paul's writing. Hard to understand, but many twist them to their selfish ambi- ambition or through ignorance twist them. When Paul is speaking here, don't forget, he just talked about all the other people who must remain silent during a certain portion of the service, during the learning and the teaching time so that all could benefit, so there's no distraction, so there's nothing that's happening that's dishonoring God. When he comes to talk to the women, he says this, the women should keep silent in the churches for they are not permitted to speak. But should be in submission, as the law also says. Church, it means what it says. Now, there's that silence. There's that thought of, oh my goodness, what if the people I worked with heard my pastor say this? What if my family knew I believe this? What why, this is the what is going on? This can't be. I, I'm I'm trying to help you out. I understand. The, the thoughts because they go through mine as well. But let's understand scripture because we first believe that God's word is authority and his ways are best. When he says here is more about the heart and he's getting at something deeper. So the first point I want you to see is what does it take to be a church that builds? It's this, women. It involves women who wear God's image with caution and care. A church that builds, a church that's successful, a church that's more able to help grow one another and bring people in and people get saved is filled with women who carry and wear the image that God has entrusted them to with great care and caution. If you go back to chapter 11 is when he introduces this idea of submission for the wives. Wives, there should be a sign of submission in the churches because it's important to know that, that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of every woman, wife is her husband. This is a created order, head being the, the thing that gives you, uh, gives you the direction and the authority. And in the churches, it's important that women are not usurping the authority that God's given to their husband or to the men leadership and bring shame upon the church and manifest the same type of insubordination that the devil did in the heavens before he rebelled. Oh, Jasper, you are stepping in some mud. Oh, let's step in more mud. Why don't we? Turn to with me to 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3. Hebrews, James 1, Second Peter Chapter three, likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be one without a word, one without a word, one without a word. It's not saying you can't speak. It's saying that what's most impactful for the world to see is women who can show without speaking. Husbands can be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair, putting on of gold jewelry, clothing you wear, but let the adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable, imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, and look what Peter says, which is, which is in God's sight, Very. Why is that precious in God's sight? Because God, in the beginning, He created them, male and female. At the very foundation of the universe is this idea and this reality of God putting in His word, gender and sexuality. Is it important? Absolutely, It's so important that it seems to be the one thing that makes the forefront news of all of our controversy and arguing and opinions and convictions is this idea of I'm going to decide gender and sexuality for myself. There's a reason that's prevalent today. It's because the influence of the world lies under the sway of the evil one. The devil was the one in the garden who spoke to the woman who was the subordinate one. And he taught her how to feel the way he feels about being subordinate. He taught her how to desire her own desires and to make her own decisions. He taught her how to, like Katy Perry says, you're gonna hear me roar. That's not the gospel. That's not the calling upon women from God. God created male and female. He created Adam from the dust. And he said, you're going to be co-regent with me. I want you to have dominion over this world, to rule it, to oversee it. I'm even bringing the animals to you and you're naming them. It's like God's like, hey, I want you to kind of take over now, Adam, man. You are the head on the planet, so you get responsibility of oversight and authority that's the part of my image that i've put in you god the trinity being male but then what happened the man is something's wrong something's missing he's lonely he needs help and like god made man for him he then makes woman for man and he puts a deep sleep on man, and woman is born forth from man what a beautiful picture but woman female did not come from the dirt, came from the man. And when Adam saw it, he was very pleased. This is woman, flesh of my flesh, bone of my bone. And he, he ended up even naming his own wife, Eve, mother of all living. And then God completed his image through not just man, not just woman, but both entrusting to them this powerful image of the creator universe that when they come together as one, husband and wife, they fulfill the picture of the image of God. And we learn from the New Testament, they even show what has been the reason from the very beginning. God created marriage with a symbolic meaning that needs to be known to the world. Christ died for his bride. And marriage is this mysterious picture that has now been revealed through Christ. So no wonder the enemy, when he looks into the world and he roams through like a roaring lion, he hates the image of God. He wants to destroy the image of God and he will start with the people who were in the place that he was in, in heaven, in a subordinate role, taking commands from someone he didn't want to take commands from. Trying to align his desires with the person, the God that was above him and he rebelled and was cast to the earth, and then he comes to the woman in the garden. Hey, did God really say? What is he doing? He's coming and casting doubt and deceiving the woman about what God's word is and what God really meant. Did God really say that? So you come to verse Corinthians 14, and you read what God says about the orderly godliness of structure within the Learning part of the service. Did God really say that? It seems the one area that the enemy has won in our society, that he has truly won, is I don't think we can hear the word submission without any of us bristling as if it's a bad thing. Jesus was subordinate to the Father, his head. Not my will be done, but your will be done. I don't declare my own things to you, Jesus said. What he declared to me, I declare to you. And in the garden, you had this perfect relationship of a husband who lived with his wife in an understanding way, who led perfectly, who loved her, laid down his life for her. And you had a woman whose desire always matched up to her husband's desires. You go to chapter three, everything changed. The fall came, and now what do women deal with today? in the marriage relationship. It's indicative. You can count on it. Your desire will be contrary to your husband's and he shall rule over you as part of the curse. That's the consequences of the fall. And do we see that in our marriages today? Absolutely. It's hard for my desire as a wife to match up to my husband's because I have things that I want to do ways that I think it should go, things that I think he should be doing. So you come to the church then and how the church is functioning. And Paul is saying, in the church, it's very important for women to wear that image and show and restore the created order of gender and bear that image of submission willingly. In 1 Corinthians 14, it was a different situation. It's kind of different than what we do. They, they actually would have had time where the men were sitting apart, the women would have been sitting apart and had unable, it, it would have been unable, it would have been unable for a, a woman to ask a question without having to say it out loud for everyone to hear during a time when the men were speaking or someone was speaking. And what would be the result? Maybe she would be going around or above her husband to say that. It would be shameful for the husband. She would be going and usurping authority now let me bring some context. I've talked to you. I've said the clear things. You go to chapter eleven of chapter fourteen uh, of chapter eleven of First Corinthians, and you see that women are both praying and prophesying in the church, both praying and prophesying. So when Paul says that a woman a woman must remain silent in church, it does not mean that she's not praying and she's not even prophesying. It doesn't mean that she's not using her voice and saying things in the right context. But when it comes to the learning and teaching portion of the church, God's desire is that women would learn quietly in submissiveness and bear that image with care. One more passage. First Timothy. 1 Timothy chapter 2, look at verse 8. And then men, I'm about to start coming to you. 1 Timothy 2, 8. I desire that in every place the men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. Likewise, also for the women, they should adorn themselves in respectable apparel, with modesty and self-control, not with braided hair, gold, pearls, or costly attire but what is proper for women who profess godliness with good works. Let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. Order in the church service, the part where it's time to learn. Now listen. I believe that Paul, if he were using us in comparison to the Corinthians, he would look at the Corinthians and he would say, hey, like Summit, like Summit, we don't really have the, we're, we're not really even having to deal with the issue, no one's interrupting. It would be rude for anyone to interrupt right now because one person is speaking. We do this well. We have order and decency well when it comes to structuring the worship service. I believe Paul would use this as a good example for the Corinthians. 1 Corinthians 14, turn back with me. What does it take to be a church that builds women who wear the image of God with great care and caution, knowing that they are more influential than maybe they realize? In chapter 11... Paul Even says the angels for the sake of the angels they're watching women are curious to angels angels are the ones who rebelled angels are the one in subordinate positions it's like god wants his women his christian women to be examples not just to the community and the church around them but also to the angels this is how you do it do you hate me yet god's word is good and pure. It is the good thing for us. It's the thing that guides, is the light to our feet, and a, a, a guiding light to our path. It says here, though, that if women deserve, desire to learn anything, they should ask their husbands at home. What did Paul just talk about? He talked about the prophets who would speak. Prophecies would be given in a church. And then the others would weigh in to what's being said, which means I'm going to use my mouth to say that that might be wrong, what you just said. In this portion of the service, Paul is saying, women, you need to be quiet because you're not gonna be able to interject in a way that will will be uh, honoring to your husband. It's gonna be shameful because you're gonna have to potentially weigh in and cast a judgment, exercise authority about something that was said. Learn quietly, ask your husbands at home, which would have been revolutionary for the Christian world In the New Testament church, they wouldn't have been triggered like we are today. They would be thinking how progressive and liberal this is because back then it was shameful to even teach a woman. So you have Paul coming and say, let women learn. Let them ask their husbands at home. So the husbands are having to readjust this mindset that I don't teach a woman. Now they can learn. Jesus shows up and then just women are able to come follow him and learn from all of his teachings revolutionary. Why? Because God made male and female. They're his image. Beautiful picture. But husbands, can your wife come home and learn from you? Some of you ladies who aren't married, you're thinking, what about me? Well, you don't have a husband, so your head isn't your husband. You still have the responsibility to bear the image of God with great care doesn't mean you can't ask questions. doesn't mean you can't come to your pastors. doesn't mean you can't ask people in the service. It doesn't mean that you pull, when do you stop talking? When you come out of your car, when you walk through the door. That's the letter of the law. It kills. The spirit of the law is trying to get to something deeper. Husbands, can your wives ask you questions? Wives, do you have to go around your husband? Not have to, do you? If you do, not good. You dishonor your head. Husbands, I'm not saying you got to know everything, but I am saying to you, just like God charged with Adam the responsibility to lead, to have authority, and to teach, that responsibility is on you as well. You've got to start somewhere, but start and begin. If you read in the book of Ephesians, Paul talks to husbands and wives, and he instructs husbands to wash their wife with the water of the word, just like Christ did his church it's this idea that just like Christ is taking care of his church, dying for her, loving her, you're doing the same thing for her, you're taking the responsibility of even her spiritual care on your shoulders. And when when she reaches out to take the apple, you slap it away and you grab the snake and you bite it in half, and you don't let it come in between you and your wife, and you especially don't let the snake become in between you and your wife and God. God's commands are clear do not eat of the fruit. Did God really say? And here we are today seeing that the enemy is still alive because what is the one thing that he's attacking? Gender, sexuality. Because at the heart of it is this image of God. At the heart of it is men and women who could change the world if they started to live with confidence into the image that God given them and entrusted them to carry. So when we come to 1 Corinthians 14, it's not just women be silent. There's deeper meanings to it. By the way, the rest of the sermon is going to be to be continued till next time. I want you to see one more thing. So, band, I'm going to read one more thing. We're going to be closing up here soon, giving you a warning. Look what he says here next. Chapter 14. Verse 36. Or was it from you? that the word of God came? Or are you the only ones it has reached? If anyone thinks he is a prophet or spiritual, he should acknowledge that the things I am writing to you are a command of the Lord. If anyone does not recognize this, he is not recognized this. People who understand that truth comes from the word and not from them. A church that builds is a church that's filled with people who understand that truth does not originate in their heart. And truth has not only come to just them. Turn to Numbers chapter 12. Numbers chapter 12. When Paul said this, it's hard to know, but the people would have more than likely immediately thought of this story. What did Paul say? Was it from you that the word of God has come, or is it to you that the word of God has, has come to? And just saying these two statements, he brings their mind to a story in Numbers chapter 12. Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses because of the Cushite woman whom he had married. For he'd married a Cushite woman, and they said, he, Has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? You see that? You have this woman, Miriam, who's now usurping and confronting and speaking against Moses. And what is the word she's saying? What's the reasoning she's using? Has the word only come to Moses? Hasn't it reached us? 1 Corinthians 14, Paul twisted around. He says, Has the word. Come from you or only come to you? Has he not spoken through us also? Miriam says, and the Lord heard it. Now the man Moses was very meek, more than all the people who were on the face of the earth. And suddenly the Lord said to Moses and to Aaron and to Miriam, Come out, you three, to the tent of meeting. And the three of them came out, and the Lord came down in a pillar of cloud and stood at the entrance of the tent and called Aaron and Miriam. And they both came forward, and he said, Hear my words. If there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, make myself known to him in a vision. I speak with him in a dream, foggy prophets, but not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. With him, I speak mouth to mouth, clearly, and not in riddles. He beholds the form of the Lord. Why then were you not afraid to speak Against my service Moses and the anger of the Lord was kindled against them and they departed. And if you read on, you find out that Miriam was struck with leprosy for speaking out. Very interesting that Paul uses wordage in 1 Corinthians 14 to make them think of this account. Let me read what Paul said again. Are you the only ones that has reached? If anyone thinks he is a prophet or spiritual, he should acknowledge that the things I'm writing to you are a command. God spoke face-to-face, plainly with Paul. Paul's bringing the command. He's not bringing a vision or a dream. His prophecy that he's bringing doesn't need to be weighed in and tested to see if it's true. Paul is saying, the, war, the people, the church should acknowledge that what I'm bringing is a command. And then look what he says here about anyone who would fight against it. If anyone does not recognize this, he is not recognized. The church that builds is a church that understands truth doesn't come from them, but from God. And also, a church that does not entertain garbage teaching doesn't entertain it. And finally, he says this, so my brothers, earnestly desire to prophesy. Do not forbid speaking in tongues, but in all things, it should be done decently and in order. Brings it back to what he was talking about, this idea of prophecy, tongues, Speaking, using your mouth. How do we use our mouth in church in a way that will build and not hinder? Here are our instructions. And the people of God want to carry the heart and follow the law of God. Knowing full well as we can all feel, I can feel it, the worldliness that's constantly pressing against us to be ashamed of the teachings of God. All things done decently and in order. Because after all, the world is passing away along with it, its pleasures and its passions. And those who oppose God will be burnt up. And there is a devil and a demonic force that's trying to kill people. His goal is to kill and to destroy and to cause chaos. Look for where the chaos is. You'll see insubordination. You'll see insurrection. You'll see anarchy. And the church is constantly being tempted to be pulled into it with it, confusing it as some type of work for the Lord. We follow Jesus Christ, the word of God, and we stand on it, and we don't apologize for what it says. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, you know my heart. You know that I am an imperfect man deserving of death, a sinner who has no right to be in your presence, to be saved by you, who was going his own way, and you saved me. And for my brothers and sisters who think of their testimony as well, you saved us, not by works done by us in righteousness but because of your love and your grace that has reached us. Father, we, you already know in our hearts the struggle with a passage like this. Would you be kind to us, patient with us? Would you carry even the one along who's still struggling? Would you help us to be men and women who bear your image carefully and show the world what it means to be man and woman? And God, through that, you would let the gospel shine as as we have marriages that finally have reversed the curse and are getting it right. And the world looks on with envy and jealousy and sees light in us. They see in our services light. They see that you're here. They see your presence and they want to be a part of it. God, constantly remind us of this and use us for your purpose. Pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.